And so at last we come to the end of the Legacy of Cain series. Because I still have to say this every now and again, I don't actually choose what I ruminate on. My patrons vote for ruminations based on, you know, the, the whole thing we do every year. I say that because what is basically by coincidence, patrons have been continuously voting in the entirety of the Legacy of Cain series, so that's why we've kind of been stuntingly going through the whole thing year by year here. Let me just say that it was a really treat. Like, a thank you for giving me the chance to actually play through this game again. This is a great game. Uh, probably my favorite purely from a gameplay perspective. I loved being able to play as Kane and Raziel. I loved being able to... It reminded me... I know this is going to sound like a strange comparison because it's actually the other way around, but it reminded me a lot of playing the Darksiders games. You know, that kind of pseudo-Zelda-esque, God of War-esque, Devil May Cry-esque kind of thing where we see entire sections devoted to combat and basically combat arenas. Then we have whole sections of exploration and transit. And then puzzle solving, you know, Zelda puzzles, which I've talked about many times. This was probably by far the smoothest one to play for me. You know, a lot of the previous ones felt a little bit jolting, a little bit... And I didn't have too much to say about them. But this one I enjoyed every moment of it. I also like how both sides, the Raziel side and the Kane side both had combat, exploration, and puzzles, but leaned differently in both directions. Kane, of course, was far stronger, had more weapon choice, and generally more abilities designed towards combat. And as a consequence, he ended up fighting more stuff. And Raziel, well, he could float and, and do his thing where he goes into the spirit realm, and he could also actually swim, which means he was more useful for getting around and solving things. And, of course, he had more puzzles on the side of the thing. So both sides felt good and different enough and varied enough without being completely distinct from each other. It's a good balance point, in my opinion. And it helped add to variety to the game tremendously. I also like how, for most of the game, both of them are actually playing through different eras because this is, you know, <laughs> this is the Legacy of Kane series, and that's kind of what the Legacy of Kane series is about. Time travel. Now, I also want to just toss in a quick thing here really quick. Voice acting has always been one of the best parts of the Legacy of Kane series. Uh, the voices of Kane, uh, the Kane, Raziel, the Elder God are all phenomenal voice actors. <sighs> and unfortunate for the passing of one of them. Um, but nevertheless, I mention that because they decided to bring Renée Bergenois to play the Hilden Lord. And he's awesome. He's one of those rare uh, actors, especially television actors, who actually knows how to voice act as well, and he does a very good job of the Hilden Lord. It's also funny when he kind of, kind of, you know, they do this bouncing back and forth thing between Janos and the Hilden Lord. But anyways, I digress. I also like how they added one little detail, which is well, just the kind of thing I appreciate in games. They basically give you the choice: do you want to consume souls and drink blood and heal, or do you want to store up for a big attack? Now. I mentioned that. There's plenty of games that do that. It's not super complex, and it doesn't deserve tons of praise, but it's still the kind of mechanic I enjoy. It gives you, the player, the choice of how you want to play through the section. Do you want to play it safe and keep your health up, or do you want to just destroy everything and risk it? It's good stuff and enjoyable. I also like how both characters in this game wield the Soul Reaver. That feels very appropriate for, well, what I would usually call the second game in a trilogy, even though this is far from the second game in this series. I'll talk more about that later, though. <sighs> Fully d t talking about and discussing this game is going to be weird, because from my perspective, 
it's been almost a year since I played the last game, and I don't remember what I talked about in that video. I know that I've been discussing some of the aggregate concepts of the whole franchise in each video I've done thus far, but I don't really specifically remember things, so if I'm repeating myself, I just want to apologize really quick. I also just want to say that d discussing this whole game from a, you know, a linear perspective would be very difficult to do, so let's just talk about things in a certain manner. First of all, we get a decent amount of characterization for the Elder God in this game, who I'm just going to start calling E.G. or the Elder, or occasionally Oldie, for anybody curious. Now, Oldie, well, he's... I'm, I'm, I'm so hungry for swallows. He just can't eat one. They're like Pringles. And so his whole shtick is trying to ensure everything works in that particular fashion, right? Remember that for later. I'm going to bring that up again in a minute. But I bring this up because one of the first things we see is the idea that Oldie really likes two different types of servants. Those who are, let's call them higher functioning servants. The ones who walk around and actually perform manipulations or machinations or ensure that things are slanted in his favor. And then the when those servants cease to be useful or functional, well, then he moves on to his other types of servants, which are, you know, I actually, there's a real life... Um, biological counterpart to this, but I honestly can't think of it off the top of my head. It's when you have a big creature and little creatures go off and gather food for the big creature. That's what it does. I mean, that's the whole point of its reavers, right? That's the whole thing. The whole way he approaches Raziel. Raziel just happens to be slightly more reticent to, to go and get him food than all of his other reavers do. And of course, o Oldie is firmly convinced of the fact that he'll be able to break Raziel over time, which he might have been able to, given the time to do so, but We'll get more to that in a minute. Meanwhile, we find out that back in the past, there was this great war between the Ancients and the Hilden. I know I've mentioned this before, but what I find most interesting is that the sequence of events that happened in consequence of that war were strange. Because what happened was the Hilden and the Ancients fought, the the Hilden lost. The Hilden were banished into, let's just call it what it is, hell. I mean, the demon realm is a place that slowly twists and torts you until you are literally a demon. And it's apparently very unpleasant to be there. Meanwhile, the Ancients were cursed by the, the, the banished Hilden in order to be vampires. Now, that by itself is like, okay, that's a curse. But again... The specifics of this curse mean that that was a curse not aimed at the Ancients, but at the one the Ancients venerated. As we find out, the entire purpose, uh, the entire escalator, the thing that really caused this war, is because the Ancients worshipped Oldie. The Hilden did not. And that led to a holy war. And so their final curse was to ensure that they would be forever cut off from the Elder God. And so Oldie is like, now what I find interesting, we know that he can still speak to vampires. So it's implied, Oldie can, so it's implied that Elder Dude decided, well, screw these guys, and just basically stopped talking to them. This, of course, led to several of them committing suicide, which led to some interesting things. But I mention this because this, to me, mostly is is the closest thing to an actual bit of personality for the Elder God. That he looked at them as such a disgusting aberration of the way things should be that he just couldn't stand them. doesn't matter that they were loyal. 
doesn't matter that they still worshipped him. doesn't matter that they could still be pawns or tools. <laughs> You're not food anymore, so piss off. Keep that in mind for later, by the way. That's going to come up as well. Now, then we have a situation where Mobius, who is actually pretty awesome in this game, decides to try and poke at Cain by, like, hey, you know, Raziel's going to kill you. That's how this is going to work out. Now, as we find out later, they didn't actually care who was what with regards to the prophecy between the two prophesied champions of the two sides. All they cared about was that Cain died, which means they were betting on Raziel. I find it interesting, then, that they try to push Cain by insisting Raziel will go after him, which, well, is funny because he did. Now, you could say Raziel did kill Cain, but Cain didn't die. Keep that in mind, too. There's three things now. You're, you got a notebook and paper, right? It's Legacy of Cain. What do you want from me? <clears throat> Over on the other side, we go meet Vorador again. <laughs> he's, he's in basically all of these games. And we also find out about Janos and the heart. And one of the things I like about this game is it fills in a lot of gaps in the past. We find out exactly how it was, how it was, excuse me, that they were able to craft the vampire Cain, the last of the vampires, basically. Although obviously that's not what happened because obviously the Seraphim were eventually turned into vampires. But you get my point. At the time, it was a new vampire and they crafted him with the heart of Janos. Which itself is actually interesting because it implies that Cain himself, one of the reasons he was so powerful for so much of his existence was because he was specifically empowered by that incredibly powerful heart. Janos himself... Uh... So, <laughs> this leads to our very first question. Uh, Raziel goes through a sequence of events. He finds Tyrell, kills Tyrell, and Tyrell is noticeably and visibly possessed when this happens, at multiple points, by the Hilden. Now, we don't know that at the time, and Raziel didn't know that at the time. But then Raziel, as per his usual, absorbs the power and energy of his killed foe, which includes the Hilden. Now, that's actually extremely important, because that's the final setup piece to ensure that when he actually encounters Cain, he is so filled with rage and out and, and fury because of the Hilden that he, he refuses to listen to all reason. You'll notice Cain constantly refuses to fight him until it finally is an okay, fine, no, really kind of a situation. And then he's like, okay, fine, if this will make you listen to reason, but I do not want to kill you, Raziel. We've got too much going on to, to just kill you. That's ridiculous. Then Raziel kills Cain, rips out his heart. This is when things get interesting. Question. How does Cain survive? I'm dead serious, by the way. Uh, to my knowledge, there is no actual explanation ever given for this. In fact, if I was to say, I would say this is one of the holes that was probably intended to be uh, sealed up by Dark Prophecy after this. Because Cain just inexplicably survives. Now, if you don't understand the significance of that, Cain surviving is the crux point of everything. The fact that he didn't die when his heart was ripped out, didn't lose his vampirism, didn't lose his powers, didn't lose anything, really is really the exact and specific reason why all of the conclusion events of this game were allowed to happen. Without that, he would have never been able to get back up, get out of the demon realm, make his way back to the area which Raziel had just been through, confront Mo Mo uh, Mobius, kill Mobius, allowing the revelation that Raziel had, who then comes back, allowing that revelation to be passed on to Cain, allowing for the final battle and the possibility of that terrible illusion of hope. None of that would have happened if Cain hadn't survived. Why? 
Now, knowing the game, I would say there probably is an intended answer to this question. And it probably has to do with Raziel himself, the one and only individual who has, as they state so many times, actual freedom of will, who can do things that are not dictated by fate and prophecy, which can, of course, have consequences on everyone else around them. I don't know how his action and decision to rip the heart out has any kind of bearing on that, though. The only thing he does that, that feels out of step from what has basically been planned this whole time is him shoving him into the portal and ending up in the demon realm. That's, that's all I got. That Raziel decided to cast him out rather than to destroy or kill him or whatever is what allowed Cain to survive. Anyone else? You got something? I'm listening. Now, Raziel learns that the the elder god is something that has been an unknown entity because it has been hidden from everyone its sight has you know everyone's sight has not been purified and therefore they can never see the thing that they have been worshiping thus he finds out that all of the ancients never actually knew the horrible death doom thing they were worshiping or its true nature certainly not to the extent that raziel knows so he decides to purify uh, mobius and mobius is horrified upon seeing it now i i know i've brought this up before but i bring this up here because I find myself wondering if it's purely just because it's a big elder gross thing, or if there's a metaphysical aspect we're not aware of. In other words, if in their sight being purified, remember he's a spirit at this point in time, so it's not literal sight, he might also be able to see, let's call it the nature, the parasitic nature of this thing, which I'll talk about in just a moment. Either way, this is a big revelation point, and as Raziel notices, the elder god has been behind basically everything forever. All the wars, all the conflict, all the everything has all been designed around continuing to keep the cycle of food. To keep the wheel turning. This leads to a question. Do you think their god was specifically behind the manipulations that led to the war between the Hilden and the Ancients? Or do you think that was something that was an unintended byproduct? For the longest time, I had the impression that the that Oldie decided to be like, Hey, listen. Those Hilden over there are heretics, and they do not understand the true power of me and mine. Therefore, you should go kill them. And then they went and killed them, and then the Hilden cursed them, and he's like, well, that worked out okay, I guess. Now I just have to fix this. <laughs> that's, the, that's what I've assumed for the longest time. But as I was replaying this, it came to mind that they kind of imply that even that conflict and the consequences of it were at the behest of the Elder God. Thing is, the Elder God, as we have seen several times, really, really hates the vampires, the undead, because they're such an aberration in what it, it believes to be the correct order of things. So why would it do that on purpose? Assuming, of course, it did, which, again, I'm not 100% sure. Again, once again, I would love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Now, then Cain fights it and is like, woo, and some awesome stuff happens. One of the things I really want to talk about is the Elder God himself. Because the Elder God is the ultimate contrast in this game. The Elder God has, is, is voiced by the ever-awesome Tony. Uh, Tony... Oh my god, Tony J? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's Tony J. Hang on. Tony... Tony J, I am right. I didn't want to get that wrong because I actually have a lot of respect for the man. So, 
voiced by the ever-awesome Tony Jay, who has done a great deal of absolutely excellent voice work uh, throughout the course of his existence. And, of course, I'm not going to find the place where I was looking at before. Um, there it is. And, of course, as a consequence of this, he's, uh, so he, he's, he sounds meticulous. He sounds intelligent. He sounds precise. He sounds like he is a fully sentient and sapient being. But he isn't. What I mean by this is he is no more immune to the fate thing than anyone else is, but more to the point, he's kind of got the Lavos thing going on, to be completely blunt. Think about it this way. If you were to rate things on a scale of simplicity to complexity, food, eating, is almost at the bottom. It's one of the most basic concepts of existence, right? Society, wars... Religion, conflicts, um, people, familiar relationships, civilization, architecture, uh, music, art, all this stuff is far higher up because of the severe amount of complexity and relative distance that stuff is from base survival, right? In other words, animal person is the general simplest way to put this. So, the Elder God is, proposes itself as something that is completely above all. I'm the core of the wheel. I am the destiny of fate. And yet, everything we actually see about it, and Raziel himself supports this, showcases the idea that this is just a parasite. That it is nothing more than a creature, a base beast, who has every single action that it takes is intended towards only a singular goal. Feeding. That... All of its complexity and all of its manipulations across centuries, across warfare and civilization and concepts and religion and prophecies, was all just to get a meal. This is the ultimate contrast with this creature, that it is a very sophisticated, very advanced, very complex baseline creature, and that it sifts down all of this aspect of existence that it has allowed to flourish in order to, to, to fundamentally provide it the most basic thing that exists. Now, I know that this is still the realm of debate, but I'm just going to go and say this. I don't think the Elder God is the core of the wheel, or really has anything to do with the wheel at all. I think the Elder God, at some point in time or another, affixed itself to the wheel, literally or metaphorically, and then started profiting from it. A truly parasitic relationship. That it is the thing that consumes. It could be argued, and has been argued, that think of life as a finite resource. Hear me out. And let's say this life initiates within the wheel, and this is the reincarnation cycle. Souls go out, souls come in. It can and has been argued that if the souls coming out of the wheel go into it, into the Elder God, then they don't actually really go back into the wheel. So more souls come out of the wheel, but then they go into the Elder God. In other words, the possibility exists, and this would be very Cthulhu-esque, or Lovecraftian if you prefer, that this creature will eventually basically eat its way out of existence until it has nothing more to consume, and then will eventually either consume itself or simply starve. Which is very appropriate, given the circumstances. But the other thing I find very interesting is that the older Elder God, the one and only time it's ever injured is by the fully purified, fully realized Soul Reaver, with Raziel's soul inside of it. In other words that at this point in time, with the full aspect of balance, that is what can really injure this thing. 
And that leans credence, in my opinion, to what I just said. The idea that the Elder God, for all its posits and for all its posturing about the fact that it is, yes, I am the very nature of the cycle of life and death. I am the beginning of death and the consumer, the beginning of life and the consumer of death. Despite all that crap, that it is, in fact, a parasite. A true parasite. A literal definition of a parasite. Something that takes while giving nothing. Something that imbalances the situation. Thus, balance itself and the very embodiment of balance with Cain, Raziel and the combined soul and physical blade are able to cause this creature harm and actually hurt it for what might actually be the first time ever, actually, based on what we know. This then makes the final battle far more interesting to me and a lot more fun in general. And then, of course, we injure the Elder God, escape, and Cain gives his epic speech. You know, now I have the illusion of hope. The end. And that's the end of the Legacy of Cain franchise. When I first did my first ruminations on this, I, I lamented the fact that the series would not continue. Because I said, paraphrasing myself, this is a few years ago now, I said that I lamented how it was so obvious the series was supposed to continue. It basically ended on a dun-dun-dun to be continued. Now I got a few comments, uh, both on the YouTube comments and in private messages, saying, You're an idiot, Lore. What are you talking about? The series definitively ended. I have a quote here <laughs> that I just because I was when I was looking up for this game specifically, I found out about the making of, and I found out about uh, Legacy of Cain, The Dark Prophecy, which was the sequel to this game they were already in development of. Now we don't have a lot of details about it. We, some of the re, uh, the pre work and uh, you know like concept art and that kind of stuff had been released, and we have some information on it and interviews about it. But the project was never publicly mentioned because Eidos uh, is evil. God, I just keep covering franchises that have been torpedoed by Eidos recently. Anyways, but I want to pull up a direct quote here uh, from Daniel Kabuko. Okay, direct quote. Raziel's cycle was complete. Cain was given a chance at hope, and the Elder God, though defeated, was set up as the adversary in the next game. Except there was no next game. If Cain were to ever defeat the Elder God, I'm sure it would require the res restoration of the pillars and somehow pinning him down before finishing him off with some epic use of the Soul Reaver. It could be a level or the intent of a whole game to beat him, involving multiple locations where you track him down and destroy key areas that he dwells in, or uses anchors to keep himself in our world. In the case, it shouldn't be a single encounter thing to beat him. There have been other interviews, and I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but there's been multiple interviews about the nature of what Legacy of Cain Dark Prophecy was supposed to be. We know they were going to be dealing with the Hilden far more, and the re revelation of what they used to be, and what they're restored to be, and Cain himself was going to be the central character, but also there was going to be like another Cain from a different timeline, and all of that was torpedoed. Now, I'm not saying I told you so, but it is, it, it, I, cause I'm not, I'm really not. It's actually kind of a relief is really the word I want to use because my statement that, oh my god, why didn't it keep going? It was such an obvious to be continued was an analysis, not a fact. That was me looking at this, the, what the information I had and logically deducing something based on the narrative construction. And I, I actually, after people pu pushed back against that, I thought, well, I guess I was wrong. I guess I was looking at it wrong. Researching this for the sake of this game, finding out this new information was like, oh, I was actually right. And so again, it's kind of a relief to know that I'm not that bad at analysis. 
I have nothing else to add to that because I'm really sad that we're never going to get that game. It would be really awesome. Unfortunately, Tony J is no longer among us, so we would not have the incredibly awesome Elder God back. So, that's probably never happening. THQ Nordic, anything? I hope you've enjoyed my look at the last game in this series. It was fun to go through it, and I do still appreciate the chance to go through this. I'll see you next time, guys.